Turning in our Bibles, please, to the Old Testament, the book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, so we're looking for the Song of Solomon. You're coming to Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. Um, so we're finding it there uh, after Ecclesiastes and before Isaiah. We're turning to chapter 3, and we're going to read just the first four verses of the chapter together uh, this evening. So, Song of Solomon and the chapter 3. And we'll read verse 1 down to and including verse 4. <clears throat> the person who's speaking here is recorded as a Shulamite woman. It says, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go, until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Amen. We'll finish there at verse 4, and we know God will bless this reading of his word to our hearts this evening. You know, whenever you come to the, the book of the song or the songs of Solomon, it's one of those books of Scripture that can be very hard to define in terms of its setting, in terms of the context of the book and, uh, and what it's trying to say to us. For some, it is seen as a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And, and I can see how that might be... Uh, found in the book, I can see that some might see that as the application of it. For others, uh, the songs of Solomon is seen as an encouragement to purity and to sanctity in marriage. And in the day that we live, that's something that's very important. There's a very important message to be found in that. There's many other interpretations with regards to the book of Solomon, and even some may have a prophetic tone to them. But uh, I'm not going to get into any of those things this evening. I'm not going to go into this passage and break it down verse by verse. I'm going to do something that I normally don't do. I'm going to lift a phrase out of these verses that we've read. And you won't be surprised to know what phrase it is because it's found four times in the four verses that we read. I'm going to take this phrase. I want to lift it out as a starting point and I want to take it and apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this interaction that's taking place and uh, that, that we're reading about between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Uh, and some Bible commentators actually believe that the Shulamite woman became Solomon's first wife. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not. It may well be the case. But, but even if she did become his first wife, sadly after this, Solomon was disobedient to the Lord and he took many more wives and many concubines. But here in this passage in the Song of Solomon, we have this picture of this uh, interaction that's going on between the perspective groom and the perspective bride. As you read through the earlier chapters, you'll see that he has come to, to seek for her. He has come to win her affection, to win her to himself. And now this uh, perspective bride is at the place where she desires him and she desires to be married to him. And by the time we come to chapter 3 and the verse 1 where we broke into the book here, 
we're approaching the wedding ceremony. The time is coming for the wedding. And the desire of the Shulamite woman for her betrothed has become more evident. And she begins to think about him and, and she says, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and in the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. The watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them when I found him whom my soul loveth. Four times we see her refer to him whom my soul loveth. I want us to take that little phrase, him whom my soul loveth. I want us to think about that as a title this evening. But not only as a title, I want us to see it as a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is no doubt whenever you read the book of the Song of Solomons, you can see how uh, the one that the Shulamite woman is speaking about here, he seeks her first. As you read the earlier chapters, you can see that he comes for her. And there's no doubt that Christ first came to seek and to see if that which was lost. That's the message of the gospel. That the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven and came to seek and to save that which was lost. But there is also no doubt whatsoever that those who are lost need to come to him. And we have this woman here and she's seeking to come to him. There's a picture here in this description, him whom my soul loveth, of what salvation is all about. And there's three things I want us to consider this evening about salvation, just from these words, him whom my soul loveth. I want you to see, first of all, the person, him, him. Think about the, the person that, 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 that we are applying this to this evening. We're not applying it to Solomon. We're not applying it to who the Shulamite woman was speaking about here. She's speaking about Solomon. I want us to apply this one word, him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to apply it to him. You see, in this world today, there are many things that, that are described as special. People are described as special. Places are described as special. Events are described as special events. That word is used so often. Sometimes instead of the word special, people even go a little bit further and they talk about things that are unique. They talk about a unique event and it happened in this place and then next week the same unique event is happening in this place. And it doesn't really make sense because it's unique. And if it's unique, it, 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 it can't be replicated. Unique means one of a kind. And people use that language and they band it about. But when it comes to the realm of salvation, when it comes to the way of salvation, the way of salvation is unique. There's only one way. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is the way of salvation unique, but the person is unique. Christ is unique. I want you to think about this just in terms of some things that we read about him in Scripture. We read about the fact that he was born of a virgin. Well, that makes him unique straight away. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the prophecy was, was made. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Now, that was a prophecy. And if you were to turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, down to verse 23, you'll find there the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because it tells us now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, being her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, my son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This person of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was born of a virgin. He's unique. That prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Christ. He lived a sinless life. That makes him unique. We're sitting here, I'm standing here, you're sitting down there, and there's none of us can say that about ourselves. If we're honest and truthful with ourselves, we know that we fail the Lord and we fail and we sin day by day. The Bible makes it clear that we're all born as sinners. It says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Tells us that sin separates us from God. Tells us that because of our sin, if we remain in our sin, we have no access to God because of our own merits, because of our own efforts. But over in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, this is what the Word of God says, speaking about Jesus. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He lived a sinless life because only a perfect substitute would do to be the Savior of sinners. He came and he lived that perfect life He's unique. That's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that God became man. He became like us, but without our sin. I think it's John Valverde who, who puts it like this. He says, like a king who temporarily puts on the garments of a peasant while at the same time remaining king. That's what Christ did. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 to 8, we refer to it so often. It was referred to even on Thursday night in our Bible study about the Lord Jesus Christ being in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God taking on flesh, becoming like us, but without sin. He's unique, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of a Savior was made. Over in Isaiah 53, uh, it, we read about the, the suffering of the Savior, and we read there about that in significant detail. We don't take the time tonight to read it, but in Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it says, I shall make his soul an offering for sin. You see, long before Jesus came, 
long before, 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in that stable in Bethlehem. Over 700 years before he went to the cross of Calvary and there suffered upon that cross of shame and did it for us, did it for me and did it for you. Long before it ever happened, God planned the way of salvation. He planned the way of escape for, for mankind from our sinful state. And the plan was to send his son. And his son came as the promised Savior. He's unique. It was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a substitute for sinners. We've touched on this already. He came to be our substitute because we couldn't save ourselves. There was nothing we could do, nothing we could say, nothing we could pay, no work that would have been good enough. But in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, here's what it says. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He came to be the substitute for sinners. He's unique. No one else has ever done that for us. No one else ever could do it for us. We see the uniqueness of Christ, the substitute for sinners, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know there's many other things that make him unique? Those are just five. But one, one unique thing, and that would have been enough. But he's unique in his attributes. He's unique in his character. He's unique in the fact that he's the substitute for sinners, that he's the promised savior, that he's God who took on humanity, but without sin. He's unique in all of these things. He's the person of salvation. Now, when we think about who he is, when we think about the fact that he's the son of God who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that that, that wasn't something for him to grasp at because it was his by right. When we consider the truth of that, do we see his love? Do we see his love for us? The Shulamite woman in the Song of Solomon, she was looking for Solomon And she was looking for Solomon for a reason. And we're going to come to why she was looking for him. But my question this evening to you, as you're sitting in this meeting, as you're sitting in your home, wherever it is that you're sitting, if you're tuned in and you're listening online, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, here's my question. Do you know this man, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the one who suffered and bled and died for you? Do you know the one who took the punishment for your sins, who took the judgment that was due to you, and he took it upon himself? Do you know him? Because if you don't, you're not ready for heaven. We sang that second hymn this evening, uh, Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus. And in that hymn in the chorus, it starts off with this line, When we all get to heaven... But if you don't know Christ, you can't sing that. If you didn't know, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you sung that word, those words tonight, you don't know the reality of that. You don't have the assurance of that because you're not ready for heaven. You're not fitted for heaven, not because of yourself, but because of your sin and because you've rejected Christ. 
Do you see the person? Him. But I want you to see the passion. Him whom my soul loveth. The Shulamite woman here was looking for the one that she was intending to marry, the one who she was declaring her love for. And she's searching for this one, and she's searching for him because she believes that he will bring her satisfaction, that he will bring her joy, that he will bring her a sense of security. But her seeking for him is not out of some sense of hope. It's out of experience. She loves him, but she knows that he loves her. Back one chapter, chapter 2 and verse 4, here's what it says. It says, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. And she's speaking about the one who she's looking for. And she knows that he loves her. The thought behind that statement, his banner over me was love, is that she's aware that he loves her. He's come looking for her. He has sought her out. And that's the context of the opening two chapters of the Song of Solomon, that he's seeking to win her for himself. And as I think about that this evening, for me, it's a marvelous picture, a wonderful picture of the love of God for guilty men and women. Over in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, The Word of God reminds us that we love Him because He first loved us. The Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated His love because He left heaven. And He left heaven and He came and the hymn writer put it like this, God loved the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall, salvation full, at highest cost He offers free to all. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven. That's why he took upon himself this a human body. That's why he lived the life that he lived, but lived it with no sin. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he took everything on the road to the cross, all that physical suffering that he took on the way to Calvary. That's why as they drove the nails in and and they hung him upon that cross and as they had beaten him and then as they plunged that spear into his side and as he hung there with that crown of thorns that had been pressed down upon his brow. And that's just the physical suffering. He did it because of love. And then in those dark hours, those three dark hours when the Father poured out the wrath of a holy God upon his own son. And we can't even begin to enter into that. We can't even begin to understand what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for us. It breaks my heart to think of what Christ went through for me. It was so deep, so dark, so great that the Word of God can't And doesn't explain it to us because we can't understand the breadth of it. What we know is this. That he did it because he loves us. He went to the cross because he loves us. The Lord Jesus Christ came. And he did it because he was willing to suffer as the just one for the unjust. Maybe as you're listening to me tonight, and, and, and you're thinking about these things, and, and I'm speaking to you about the love of Jesus and the love of God for guilty sinners. Maybe, maybe just cast your mind back to whenever you were a child 
And I want you to do this tonight. I want you to cast your mind back to when you were sitting in Sunday school or you were sitting in a children's meeting. And there in that meeting, as you sat there, we sang that chorus, simple children's chorus. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you. What truth there is in those three words. And we sing them as children. And they bring us back to memories that we have had in years gone by. And maybe you remember those words and maybe right now in your, in your mind you can picture yourself sitting in that Sunday school and singing those words. But you've never actually thought about the depth of the truth of the fact that Jesus loves you. The individual. Jesus loves you. John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you tonight. Are you returning that love to him? Or are you rejecting his love? When you think about what God has done for you, and he's done it because he's a God who loves, what are you going to do about that? What will you do with that truth? That's the truth. That's the truth of the word of God. That's the truth about a God who loves you. What are you going to do with that news, with that information? Because at this moment in time, maybe you've heard this message from you can remember from a little child. And for all of those years that you've known this, and all of the years that you've heard it, you've rejected it. For whatever reason. And do you know what? Tonight it doesn't matter what reason you can give for why you reject the fact that God loves you and sent the Son to die for you. I'm not interested in your reason. It could be because you want life to be all about you. It could be because you think you're good enough. It could be because you don't think God would accept you. It doesn't matter what your reason is. The truth is that life is passing by so quickly. God loves you. And you're running out of time. What about eternity? Can you say that Jesus is the one whom my soul loveth. You see the person. Do you see the passion? I want you to see very quickly as we finish, I want you to see there's a permanence here. The Shulamite woman says, I will seek him whom my soul loveth. What's she speaking about there? She's speaking about something that is permanent, something that is lasting, something that goes on. She knew that she loved him. And she knew that the love that she, that she had for him was a love that lasted. And we've already talked about the fact this is a picture of a marriage. And how the marriage is, is something that should be portraying beauty. It should be portraying purity. And her heart here is bound up in this one person. And she's searching for him. This person who she loves, he's everything to her. <coughs> she's going around looking for him. Seeking to find him. He's the one her soul loveth. 
Whenever we think about our soul, whenever the, we think about the soul in Scripture, it often represents the idea of our innermost being, our innermost part. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, when we're reading there about uh, the period of creation, it tells us there that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And every one of us has a soul. Every one of us. And the soul lives on. The time will come in the natural course of events that if the Lord hasn't returned, that our bodies will die. These old bodies that are decaying, they will die. And that's a reality, folks, tonight. Time comes naturally to an end for each one of us. But the soul lives on because the soul is the immortal part of each one of us. The soul lives on. Now here's what the prophet Ezekiel says about the soul. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, when it's speaking there, it's speaking about physical death, first of all, because death comes by sin. But then what it's speaking about is the ongoing judgment for sin, which waits for those who reject God's mercy and grace displayed in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's an eternity ahead. And there's one of two places for every single soul. There's heaven and there's hell. The Bible doesn't give us, leave us guessing here. It doesn't uh, give us any false ideas about what will happen to those who reject Christ. It doesn't tell us that, you know, after, after death, those who are saved, they go to heaven, and after death, those who aren't saved, well, that's just the end. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible speaks to us about judgment. And I know people don't like to hear about judgment. But the Word of God speaks about it. The Word of God tells us about eternal judgment upon sinners because of their sin, because of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 20 and verse 15, the Word of God tells us, whosoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That's a stark truth. But it's truth because the book is truth. It's the Word of God. That's the end for the lost, to be cast into that lake of fire. It's not a message that gives me pleasure to preach. It's not something that I like to have to tell you, but I have to be faithful. I have a responsibility to tell you the truth. As the person who has the, the charge to preach the message here, to preach this gospel, I have to tell you that if you reject God, your eternity is separation from God in the lake of fire, a place of eternal judgment, a place of eternal torment, a place of eternal separation. No joy, no hope, no way of escape. But that doesn't have to be your eternity. Because in Leviticus, it tells us that the blood makes atonement for the soul. And in 1 John 1 and verse 7, John, as he's writing there, he says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that's God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's the way. That's the only way of escape. That's the only hope that there is for guilty sinners tonight. That is the gospel that the blood of Jesus Christ 
God's Son cleanseth us from all sin. You see, there's a solution. And it's a permanent solution. And it's found in the work of Jesus Christ. We're born as sinners. Our sin separates us from God. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you, who left heaven to go to a cross to pay the price so that you could go free, the Lord Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the world. And if you trust in him, you have that eternal hope. You have that eternal assurance. You have that permanence because none can take you out of the Father's hand. The Word of God says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But you have to come. You have to trust. You have to confess your sin. Acknowledge that the only way is by trusting in the work of another. And that other is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, it will be well with your soul. And that's what we all need, for it to be well with our soul. Is he the one that your soul loveth? As if he's not, it's time that he was, because he loves you. We'll close in prayer this evening. We'll not sing a closing hymn. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you again tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you tonight for his work at Calvary. We thank you, our God, and we praise you tonight for his love. Father, we thank you that you loved the world and you gave your Son to be the Savior of sinners. And Father, we pray tonight for those who don't know Christ that they will find themselves in that place where they realize that you love them and they realize that they need to be right with you because time is short. And we pray, Father, that they'll come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, our God, for your help and your presence with us this day, for, we, for your help and your presence this evening. We pray, O oh God, that you'll bless us now and undertake for us as we part, as we go our separate ways. Take us to our homes in safety. Be with us and bless us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' precious name.